I get it started You are now tuned in to my parents' office yeah, With Brett Castle and Andrew Diaz New, new dropping, yeah, you know where I'll be at Believe that, New England flow in your speakers Tryna run game, lace heat like sneakers In a flashlight, lightning bugs I pop up at your spot and I'm lighting up, yeah JR on a mic and I'm next to blow No commercials, I turn it to an episode Better get down to business, begin the show So let me get going, welcome to MPO What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the My Parents Office podcast. I am your host, Andrew Diaz. Today we've got episode 116. Uh, We're going to be covering big weekend in college football. Championship weekend, the playoff is set. Look at some Heisman odds, prepare for the Army-Navy game, and uh, some stuff outside of college football as well. But uh, college football is the main focal point of today's episode. Before I really get into all of that, uh, make sure you check us out on social media. Give us a follow. Um, TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter is at my parents' office. Facebook page, my parents' office podcast. Uh, Substack is articles from the office. Um, and I don't think we have anything else from there. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to j- kind of jump right into championship weekend. Um, it, it was an absolute – it was – there were games that came down to the wire. Really, one game that came down to the wire that was exciting when it, with uh, playoff implications. Uh, the rest were pretty cut and dry um, when when the when it was all said and done. Um, and the, the the game that came down to the wire was an early game. It was Baylor versus uh, Oklahoma State, and this one had I think the biggest impact other than the Georgia Alabama game on any uh, game when it came to playoff implications. Because if Baylor loses, Oklahoma State would pretty much be in, um, I think maybe over Cincinnati if they don't beat Houston by a lot. Uh, if Bama loses, they're definitely in. If Michigan loses, they're definitely in. So they're knocking at the door. And then if Baylor wins, then Notre Dame gets in. Um, so there was a lot going Well, Notre Dame pretty much takes their spot. It moves into there. So there was a lot riding on this game, and it came down to the wire. Uh, AT&T Stadium for the Big 12 Championship, the biggest stage of, full, of the just the, the the granddaddy of them all for the Big 12. Uh, you get two teams that, you know, it, they kind of broke the trend of normal Big 12 teams where you're thinking a lot about, oh, it's going to just be offensive explosion. You're going to see a 45-42 game. Uh, these were two very good defenses going at it. Uh, I think the, 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 I think the biggest game changer for Baylor on defense was Seka Ika, the 350 pound defensive tackle that was moving quick. He's bench pressing Oklahoma state guards into the backfield, like going against good, good players like Josh Sills from Oklahoma state, pretty much just throwing them in the backfield and made it very difficult for Oklahoma state to run the football. And I think that's part of the reason they lost. Uh, Oklahoma State ended up losing 21 to 16. And I think the the biggest thing was how good Baylor's defense played um, in the second half. Because actually, I think in the, was it maybe the end of the third or beginning of the fourth? Um, But just in the second half, uh, Oklahoma State had seven plays inside the two yard line and came away with three points. Um, and four of those plays were the four final plays of the game, Oklahoma State's four final plays on offense. Um, 
so you really just saw the linebackers and D-line for Baylor getting good jumps off the ball, dominating the Oklahoma State offensive line, pushing them in the backfield and making life very difficult. In the final play of the game, uh, the Oklahoma State running back strung it outside, dives to the pylon, gets tackled at the one. Baylor wins the game. It was crazy because you've got a safety running pretty much on the back hip of the Oklahoma State running back. And when he lays out, uh, he gets pushed right out and misses the pylon. Doesn't really even come close to the pylon. So that was definitely an awesome game to watch. And, you know, Baylor, as, an, as a Notre Dame fan, I was I was nervous because you're hoping all these things fall into place where Notre Dame gets into the playoff. Um, granted, it didn't happen, but you're, you're pretty much watching Baylor start dominating. Really, right off the rip, they put up 21 points in the first – half and don't put up any points after that. And then it's like, well, Oklahoma State's going to come back. Mike Gundy is just going to outcoach Baylor. And it, it really didn't happen, um, which was pretty crazy to see. So as a Notre Dame fan, I'm, I'm even more pumped now because I'm like, oh, all the pieces are going to fall into place. Now Bama's going to lose. Michigan's going to lose. It's all going to happen. Um, so then the, another game that was uh, – so the 4 o'clock games were Cincy versus Houston – not too much intrigue, I think, in the Cincy-Houston game. A lot of it was just Cincy. If they lost, it would have been a big deal because they would have gotten thrown down to, like, ninth in the rankings. Um, then does Notre Dame get in because Notre Dame lost to Cincy? It would have been a whole debacle. Um, Cincy ends up winning by 15. Uh, Houston's not an impressive team, I don't think. So for them to be the second-best team in the AAC, it's just – a bummer. Uh, so, but Cincinnati makes it to the first group of five team to make the college football playoff uh, in, in the history of the college football playoff. So that's definitely a really cool thing that happened. And then the other four o'clock game was Bama versus Georgia. Uh, you had a game that I bet Georgia minus six and a half. I thought that was free money. I really thought Bama's D was going to come out and just absolutely swallow Bryce Young shut down Josh Michi. Um, and that, that didn't happen. That Something like that did not happen. And this was the most points that any team even, like that any team put up on Georgia this year by almost 25. Um, they put up 41 points, beat them 41-24. You know, it was back and forth for a little bit in the first half. And then Bama scored before the half. They scored after the half. And it just, they just kept pulling away, pulling away. So then that bumped. Georgia back from one to three, Bama goes to three, or Bama goes from three to one. Then the late game was the really the last game that had any implications on the playoff, and it was Michigan versus Iowa, and Michigan came out and just trounced Iowa, 42 to three, uh, just absolute ass kicking for uh, the Hawkeyes just got absolutely demolished. Um, so, yeah, that was pretty much how championship weekend went, and then so the rankings came out – oh, Last uh, Power 5 game was ACC championship game. Pitt beat Wake Forest. Kenny Pickett did what Kenny Pickett does and absolutely balled out. The, uh, the Panthers beat the Demon Deacons 45-21. Um, you know, a game, it was the 15th and 16th ranked team in the nation, so not a lot really rode on that game, just an ACC championship, which is huge to see Pitt win it. But uh, So that was pretty cool. Now you've got – the college football playoff rankings, they get released. Um, 
And, you know, it was about what you thought it would be. Um, you, the four teams that you thought would make it made it. Um, and, you know, when it came down to where these teams rank, a lot of people are not happy about it because I don't think Michigan should have been the number one team, but a lot of people are arguing for it. And I can see that argument. I can, I can physically, I, mentally, I can comprehend that argument that Michigan could be the number one team in the nation. I don't agree with it, but it's an argument that can be made. Um, and so Bama jumps Michigan uh, and goes to number one. I just think it was because of how big they beat Bama, uh, Georgia and the points that they put up on Georgia pushed them to number one. Uh, and I definitely think that's a huge thing. Georgia goes back to three. Uh, Michigan sticks at two and Cincy at four. And a lot of people are pissed about it because they think the playoff committee didn't want an SEC uh, rematch in the first round. They're kind of hoping for a Bama Georgia national championship, which I think is going to happen. I think Georgia's going to, I think Georgia's defense is going to shut down a team like Michigan. And then Bama versus Cincy is going to be a bloodbath. Like, like it would be if Baylor made it, Notre Dame made it, or Ole Miss made it. Um, so it, it, I'm, I mean, you kind of hope since he puts up a fight, but I really do not think that's going to happen. Uh, so you've got Michigan versus Georgia, uh, Bama against Cincy for the college football playoffs, um, which is exciting. Uh, I've got the list of the other bowl games, the other New Year's Six Bowls somewhere on my phone. Let me just pull that up, kind of go over that. Where is it? Hmm. I can't find it right now, but I know one of the big games, the, the, of course, as a Notre Dame fan, the game I care about, Notre Dame's playing in the Fiesta Bowl against – uh, Oklahoma State, which should be an exciting game. I think Notre Dame's defense is really, really good. Same type of D-line where it's guys that get off the ball fast, same type of linebackers that fly around like Baylor. So I'm curious to see if they'll be able to shut down Oklahoma State's running game the same way that uh, – the same way in which uh, the Baylor Bears did. So I, I'm definitely excited for this game. Um, a, a bowl game I'm really excited about, though, is the Barstool Bowl. Uh, I've got the, the hoodie on now. I'm trying. So I'm going to be out in Arizona for Christmas um, this year. We're flying out on Christmas Eve. I'm trying to convince my parents to uh, extend the trip just like two or three more days and uh, go down to Tucson for the, the, the Barstool Bowl in Arizona to watch Central Michigan play Boise State. Uh, and it's on New Year's Eve, which is pretty cool. So that would definitely be an awesome thing to to be in attendance for, to go to. So, um, you know, I'm working at that. I, it's it's looking good, I think, now maybe. I'm not too sure. I could be completely off, but it's something I'm definitely excited about, so, so, definitely something I want to do. Um, so that that's a game I'm going to be keep my eye on, even if I'm not there. Um, now, when it with college football, I didn't do an episode last week. You know, uh, Brett hasn't put up – I don't even know. I'm taping this episode on Sunday night. I taped a Thanksgiving episode that he hasn't even put up yet. So, uh, not thrilled about that. I'll be pretty honest. But uh, um, so he's been taking a while on putting the episodes up. Um, but so I had, did not do an episode last week when the whole coaching carousel debacle – went down with uh, Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame and with Lincoln Riley leaving. Um, some other small ones that occurred in that time frame. Uh, I think the only real one I can think of is 
Joe – oh, a couple – one broke today, but uh, Joe Moorhead is going from Oregon to Akron to be the head coach. He was the OC at Oregon. So this is a good move probably career-wise for him. So he was at – or well, maybe if he stuck around at Oregon, he would have gotten promoted because Mario Cristobal, it's looking very good that Cristobal is going to be going from uh, – Oregon to Miami, which is pretty wild. Um, I'm just looking it up to see what the update on that is. Um, it says they're closing in on him um, and they're dis- discussing with him. So I'm curious to see if he leaves, if Moorhead would have maybe gotten bumped up to head coach uh, rather than taking the job at Akron. Um, definitely would have been interesting. And then another gig that uh, – a lot of people are going after and there's been a lot of rumors swirling around is the Oklahoma job, whether Brett Venables from Clemson gets the call to be the Sooners new head coach would be very interesting Uh, because, you know, when I see Venables, he's on the sideline, like you see him on the sideline fired up that fiery temper and that's great for a DC, but how great would that be as a head coach of a team like Oklahoma? Um, I don't know. It, it, it's something I'm, I'm definitely curious about to see how he would pan out there, but uh, who knows? He, he's kind of denied the rumors. Some of them said that it's a smokescreen rumor uh, of Venables going to Oklahoma, but the reason Oklahoma needs a new head coach is because Lincoln Riley snaked the ever-living shit out of the Sooners, like terribly. Um, told, I guess, in meetings a couple of days before, told the Oklahoma players that uh, Norman, Oklahoma could be the Mecca for college football, uh, lies right to their face, says he's not going to be the new head coach at LSU, which was true. He's going to be the new head coach at USC. Uh, that was the press conference after they lost to Oklahoma State. Um, and then he so he takes the, the USC job, says that the first time he spoke to USC was the Sunday morning that he took the job, which I believe him. I, I believe he didn't speak to USC. Um, I believe his agent was definitely working everything. It was kind of the middleman for all of this. And Lincoln Riley obviously knew what was going on. And the deal he got is one I have never in my life of watching college football, never, never have I seen a deal like this. $110 million. They bought, the USC bought both of his houses in Norman, Oklahoma for over 500 thousand dollars the asking price so there's another million they buy him a six million dollar home in los angeles and they also give him and his family 24 7 access to the private jet uh that usc has it's a ridiculous deal i mean it's tough as a fan of college football i can call him a snake for leaving because he did it in a snake fashion but I mean, that's a hell of a deal. And also to live in LA seems a lot better than living in Norman, Oklahoma. Um, now we'll get to a real snake. Lincoln Riley's a snake for leaving there, but the real snake asshole that I hate more than I hate Randy Edsel. And I fucking hate Randy Edsel. The guy that I hate more than Edsel is Brian Kelly because he is fake, about as fake as it gets. Um, I get the alert one night when I'm doing homework that, that uh, LSU is going to make a hard push for Kelly. I don't think that's going to happen. I'm like, that, no, it's bullshit. That's not going to happen. There's no way. They'll, they'll probably throw an offer at him. He'll stick around. Then the report comes out that they're going to – that it, it happened. And I'm 
furious about it. I'm off the walls, rip shit about it. And it, it, what hurts about the Brian Kelly, him leaving is every, a lot, all the, the whole nation when it came to college football bashed a guy like Brian Kelly every year because he could not win the big game. And Notre Dame fans always didn't even, not just tolerate, but praised him for getting Notre Dame to where they are. And then he leaves, he sends a text saying, oh yeah, uh, pretty much, I know you guys probably saw it on social media. Sorry, I couldn't, uh, sorry, I wasn't able to let you guys know, but I'll have a 7 a.m. players meeting for you uh, the next morning. Has the meeting, the meeting goes four minutes, um, just under four minutes, pretty much says, you know, I need a better opportunity for me and my family, uh, all that, and kind of blamed his wife a little bit in press conferences, pretty much saying like, oh, it was her, I just jokingly, oh, it was her idea, which his wife, it's not his wife's idea. His wife probably pushed for it, but you can't make that decision uh, just off what your wife wants you to do and what she says. But so he gets down to LSU, does talks to the team uh, at LSU and says, I wanted to coach the best athletes with the best resources uh, in the best conference. One of those things was correct. You, you are in the best conference in, in college football. You're definitely in the best conference in college football. There's no doubt about that. You're not coaching the best athletes, though. LSU, ever since that natty team cleared out, terrible. Not a good team. Um, and Notre Dame probably – Notre Dame was better this year, better athletes these past two years since LSU won the natty. Um, and better resources, it's Notre Dame. I mean, the resources are your – you're, you're splitting hairs there. If you think the resources are that, if you're talking about it being that much better, you're wrong. The resources are very similar. The only thing that really makes sense about it is the recruiting aspect because recruiting for Notre Dame is a little bit tougher because of academic standards. Granted, you're not recruiting like you're recruiting for Stanford or for an Ivy league or for one of the uh, military academies, but you're, but it, you, it's just so frustrating to see this that he, and, and so back to the recruiting, it just, he'll really have no leash when it comes to recruiting at LSU. If you kind of know what I'm, I'm, I'm saying, it's tough, tough to articulate, but he's got no leash. He can pretty much recruit anybody you want without having to look at really grades, community service time or merit to get into the school, um, which, you know, that's a downfall of Notre Dame, but that's what makes Notre Dame, Notre Dame. Um, and, you know, I was really hoping Notre Dame would make the college football playoff just because it's in the Marcus Freeman era now. A lot of rumors were, again, small rumors swirl up in the coaching carousel. I thought that the guy, I thought there were three options that were going to come in and coach at Notre Dame if it wasn't a guy already on staff. I thought the reasonable one was Luke Fickle from Cincinnati, uh, pretty much just coming back and joining Marcus Freeman uh, as the defensive co- Freeman would have stayed at D.C. Tommy Reese would have stayed at O.C. That's another thing about uh, Kelly, though, that makes him a bigger asshole is he tried to bring Tommy Reese and Marcus Freeman with him. And that would have caused all the recruits at Notre Dame to just leave and leave that program high and dry. And you saw a lot of guys transfer. But Freeman and Reese are loyal guys to the program. They're loyal to Notre Dame and not loyal to Brian Kelly, which I respect the hell out of. But uh, I thought Luke Fickle was going to be the guy. 
it, it kind of there, there were three guys I thought, like I said, and it kind of goes from reasonable to insane. I thought the reasonable one was going to be Luke Fickle. Um, the the mid tier wouldn't have been surprised, but it would have been crazy. Would have been Urban Meyer. Um, I especially for a guy like Meyer to coach uh, a Florida team that had thugs and convicts on it um, to coach an Ohio State team, uh, which is a little bit in in between to coaching Notre Dame would be wild, absolute chaos. And then the third guy I thought was John Gruden. I don't know why there were a little bit of, I saw it on Twitter, like jokes about it, but it was kind of like jokes, like, you know, Gruden, Gruden's going to coach, but like he, he may coach in Notre Dame. You, you never know. Um, but I think Notre Dame made the right hire by promoting Marcus Freeman uh, as the, the, the guy um, to be the next Notre Dame head coach. It's exciting. It, it really is. And the, you know, I think the team's excited and they, they feel betrayed by Kelly, which is only going to make their love for Freeman stronger and their commitment and dedication to a guy like Marcus Freeman stronger. Um, and then another thing to, before I cap off Brian Kelly is his horrendous Southern accent uh, that he used down at the, uh, the LSU basketball game when he got introduced his family as, as he called it. Uh, it was God awful, like a mix of Forrest Gump and Bobby Boucher talking um, the, the guy from Beverly, Massachusetts, through, like he was uh, born in the bayou, uh, which was an absolute joke and a half. But, you know, I, I say good riddance, Brian Kelly, uh, Marcus Freeman, Tommy Reese. Tommy Reese had a great speech. He's like, I know you saw it on Twitter, but I'm fucking staying. Uh, this is Notre Dame. This is what we do. We got guys here that I think we can win a national championship with. And I love it. Um, it's exciting to – It's it sucks that Kelly left because, you know, I am a little heartbroken about it. It's – a tough thing because Kelly's a guy you stick with through thick and thin. The when they got trounced by Alabama in the Natty, the years that they they struggled um, and and weren't great, and the years that they went undefeated and made the playoff, and then got beat by like an Alabama again. It, it's you you stick through it, and it just gets a little more difficult. So, I think the change is going to be nice though with Marcus Freeman. I, I'm very very excited about about this. Uh, new era in South Bend. Um, so this weekend, we've got America's game, the the game where the only people that lose, actually no one loses, America wins. There isn't a losing side. The troops win, America wins. Army, Navy, uh, one of the, I think the biggest tradition games in college football history. I think you'd put Ohio State, Michigan, Harvard, Yale, Alabama, Auburn, and Army, Navy as like the, the Mount Rushmore of, I think, four big rivals. If you want to add a fifth, it would be the Red River, I, I, I'd say. Um, you know, it, it's I'm, I'm going to root for – I'm rooting for Army this year. And, and part of the reason is because of Feltman's. Feltman's it, uh, Army uh, West Point alum. So I'm going to have to root with them. I'm going to have to support that. But also, I, I – I don't have a dog in the fight, really, but Army is better this year than Navy. Uh, so I, I do want to root for the team that I think is going to win. Uh, Army's 8-3 and three this year. They just beat a pretty good Liberty team. Um, and, you know, Navy's not great this year, uh, which, which is a tough thing to see because whenever the service academies are pretty good, it, it's a fun thing to see. They're 3-8 and eight this year. But I also think when you get into – 
the Army Navy game. You get into really big rivalry games. You can throw the the record out the window. And this is the one game, especially that records don't matter. It, it doesn't matter if it's an eleven and zero Army versus an zero and eleven Navy, or flip that. It's two teams that are going out that are going to run the triple option. It's going to be who's tougher, who's grittier, and just who wants it more. Um, you know, I, I was had the privilege to go to the game. I think it was the 2018 one when I was a senior in high school. My dad and I went to it in Philly. And it's you get in the gates. You get in when the gates open because you want to see everything that's going on. Uh, they march the midshipmen, the cadets in from both schools. Uh, they do – they have flyovers going on. Donald Trump did the coin toss. Uh, they had the exchanging of the students. It's just the, the tradition with the game is ridiculous. And that's this. Is, it takes two things that I, I love and support, uh, America and college football, just it all in one. So I'm super pumped. This is really this is the only game that's on this weekend for FBS before we get into bowl season. So super, super excited for army versus navy this year um what else oh excuse me i have my notes up here oh so moving a little bit off of um college football but sticking with um i mentioned barstool before the barstool uh, arizona bowl uh last friday my dad and i we actually i bought tickets in advance to go see uh pop punk so pop punk it's barstool sports they have a band um where it's roan pft from uh pardon my take robbie fox frankie borelli um and nick hamilton they pretty much created a punk band as like a parody and as a joke um to make fun of other bands but it turned out they weren't bad so they started doing shows and they played at toad's place in new haven uh where i saw the the chris webby black friday show my freshman year of college. So we, me and my dad went back there. That's who I saw the Chris Webby show with. This is who I'm going to see Pup Punk with now. So we drive down, you park right, we parked, we, we, we hit it on the money. We parked right pretty much a 500 foot walk to Toads, get in right away. And then we just post up right on the barrier. You're right there. Uh, Wayne Jetski open form who, who uh, works at Barcelona as a producer, but he raps, it was pretty sick. And then Pup Punk came out and my dad was definitely skeptical. I was a little skeptical because I didn't really know how the concert was going to go, but he was definitely skeptical about it because he had no idea what they were going to do. And then they came out and played opened with um, seven nation army by the white stripes. And like, I looked over at him and he was fired up about it. It was sick. And they played like just awesome punk music, uh, rock music, uh, semi charm life, the anthem by good Charlotte, uh, Blink one they played uh, all the small things by Blink one eighty two, um, like I said, Seven Nation Army. The the one that really oh Mr. Brightside was the two that really were the big ones was obviously Mr. Brightside, but Seven uh, not Seven Nation Army uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana when they played that, I thought it was gonna be a, a damn riot. It was insane. Uh, guys were jumping up on the barrier. And it was like partially because like Spider, HQ Spider got up on the mic. He's from Connecticut. He was like, can we turn the fuck up for the rest of the night? And so he stayed on stage when they were performing uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit. And um, Frankie Borelli on the drums just is killing it. And just the energy was unreal. You look into like the middle of the picks. We were off to the left a little bit. 
and people are jumping up and down, pumping their fists. Spider jumps into the crowd, starts crowd surfing. Security's like, he needs to get down, he needs to get down. Doesn't get down. They're just all the fans just pass him around in the crowd. Uh, it, it was electric. Um, one of the coolest things was uh, Frankie Borelli did a song. He played Wagon Wheel, but it was uh, Wagon Wheel on the drums, and they had uh, PFT and Robbie on the electric guitars and bass. So it was like a rock version of Wagon Wheel that, that was pretty it was pretty awesome. Um, and, you know, me and my dad are up on the bear, and there's like a little stump in, like, in front of there where people can sit if you're in that area and uh, Frankie Borelli's dad, uh, Mr. Borelli is like right in front of us recording. He's like turning around recording the crowd. Uh, Spider would jump up on there sometimes and like pump, like try to get people going. It, it was an awesome experience. I got a picture with uh, Barstool Large um, and one with uh, Coach Duggs, the national champ wins everywhere he goes. So it was just an all around great experience to be there. And, and, like uh pop punk played some of their original stuff and then they did um taylor swift love story they did good for you by olivia rodrigo which was really it was funny but like everybody knows those songs and they're hype songs uh a couple got engaged um at the show too during love story and they brought the the two women up on stage and pretty much like this is the first pop punk proposal this is awesome this like and they're like why did you do that here they're like because like this is what we wanted to do. This is a uh, uh, one of our our favorite things to do is like uh, be barstool fans and like we've been to pop punk shows before. So uh, they got engaged there. It was just an all around cool experience and one that I'm I'm definitely happy we went to. I'm I'm happy my I'm I'm happy that my dad had a good time at it too, because you know I was skeptical of how he would enjoy the show. Um, so it, it was definitely awesome to see him have a good time but uh I'm trying to think classes for me outside of everything else like just housekeeping stuff uh classes for me are coming up to an end um which i'm definitely excited about finals week is going to be next week so you know kind of got to kind of eh, gotta kind of bat patent batten down the hatches i just got tongue-tied there um coming up so i'm i'm definitely getting ready for that and everything that comes with finals week. So, um, oh, after finals week, I we're done the 17th. The 18th, we're going to, me and my parents are going to Maine. I'm going to see Spose, the Pete Ain't Christmas uh, with my dad at the Aurora or the Aura um, in Portland, which is going to be sick. It's Spose, who I saw this year already in Cambridge, um, which I'm excited about because he's going to be playing a lot of his new album stuff that I got to see in Cambridge. Um, so it's Spose, the Humans. Jay Spin, I believe. I'm assuming Cam Groves will be there. Possibly Christina Contigian. The Flowbots are going to be there, which is going to be sick. Um, I'm, I'm actually really excited about that. And then he said special guests. I mean, Christi Christina Contigian and Cam Groves haven't been announced yet, but they're in the area, so I'm assuming they'll be there. Uh, suppose brought uh, Christina or uh, Cam Groves to the Cambridge show, and they did a few songs there, which was pretty dope. Um, maybe some new people off of the album, like Ben's Been Dead or uh, Crucify Aiden would be cool. Matt Gerard. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. And like my dad and I saw Spose, he was at that Chris Webby Black Friday show performing. So I'm definitely pumped to, to be back there seeing him. I love Maine too. So it's just another excuse to get up there uh, to, to my favorite city in America, Portland, Maine. 
Uh, so definitely, definitely pumped, pumped up for that. Um, other stuff I I've been every night I do, I, when I do my homework, I've started watching movies now. Um, I've been on a big Jake Gyllenhaal kick lately, uh, with, with movies. I watched Nightcrawler and Demolition and Prisoners recently. Um, Prisoners was out of the three Prisoners was my favorite because Hugh Jackman was great in it. And it was a real eerie, suspenseful um, movie that really your skin kind of crawled at some points. You wanted to look away and skip, but like you just didn't because it, it just, you couldn't. Um, I don't want to give any spoilers, but just great movie. You, um, Jake Gyllenhaal plays a detective that pretty much solves every case that he's a part of. And this one case where Hugh Jackman's daughter and a friend's daughter both get kidnapped. Uh, they're trying to figure it out. He's trying to figure it out. They think they know who did it because they see an RV in the street. Like I said, I don't want to give too much away. Go see the movie. But it's an entertaining like, two hours, two and a half hours of film that I, I didn't couldn't look away from. Um, I'm, not too much homework was done that night is what I'm trying to say. Um, then I watched Demolition, which was a lot better than I thought. It was uh, kind of like a, rom- a romantic comedy drama. Um, Jake Hall's wife dies in a car accident on their way to work. He gets out without a scratch, and he kind of deals with having to uh, work with her father, who's played by um, – why can't I think of the guy's name? He was an American beauty, the uh, dad in American beauty. And I, I, I got to figure this out or not the dad, the, uh, oh, the Marine dad in American beauty. I'm going to be pissed. Chris Cooper, Chris Cooper played um, Jake Hall's wife's father. Um, and then he, he at the hospital when they find out she passes away, he, goes to a vending machine, tries to get something out of it. It doesn't end up working. So he writes letters to the vending machine company and pretty much connects with uh, a woman who's played by Naomi Watts. And it goes from there. And he really realizes that a lot of his life, when he thinks it's perfect, isn't. Um, And that just breaking shit and taking stuff apart is, is what he finds joy in. So that's what I'm assuming the name demolition for the movie comes from. Um, and then the other one I watched was Nightcrawler, um, which I was long overdue. And shout, well, not shout out, but I'm calling like Leo, out, Leo friend of the program, Leo Allgaier, because he told me when I was like, yeah, I'm going to watch Nightcrawler tonight. He was like, oh, not a fan. The movie kind of sucked. But the dude was out of his mind. The movie was awesome because Jake Gyllenhaal kind of plays the same character that he plays in Zodiac. Kind of, uh, well, in Zodiac, he was a little nerdier because he was a comic but he was also closed off to the world, um, kind of quieter. Um, and that's how he was in Nightcrawler, but instead he's a thief, but he's interested in something that pretty much just take, consumes his whole life. In Zodiac, finding out who the Zodiac killer is consumes his whole, whole life. In Nightcrawler, becoming a Nightcrawler consumes his, his entire being where he wants to just break stories and he'll do, well, not break stories, but get the videotape of the stories for the news to break and he'll do literally anything for it. He'll whew, put his partner in, in the line of fire, um, take out other night crawlers. It's wild. 
wild, wild movie. Uh, definitely one I recommend watching. I recommend watching all three of those. And then I had watched the other night at 1130. Uh, so before that, um, me and my friends decided we were going to have one of our, our classic movie nights. The night, the last time we did watch Taxi Driver, which I don't understand why it's called a classic, maybe just because it's Scorsese and De Niro. The movie kind of blows. Like, I, I don't get the hype around Taxi Driver uh, being this great movie because there's really, I understand it's not an action film, but there's not much that goes on in it other than De Niro playing with a pistol and driving around in a taxi. There's about 15 minutes of very interesting, uh, I think, dialogue and action that goes on. So kind of disappointed in that. So we watched Fight Club and it was actually my first time seeing Fight Club and I was not disappointed. Um, I won't lie. I didn't know kind of, I would listen to a podcast that pretty much spoiled Fight Club for me that uh, Brad Pitt and uh, Ed Norton are the same person. Um, so I kind of knew what was going on, but you still get shocked by it when it happens um, when you figure it out. And it's a wild movie, Ed Norton. And it's great. The only other Ed Norton movie I think I saw up to that point was uh, American history X, uh, which is a really good one. I think that's actually gonna be one we'll be watching for our, uh, our friends movie night before we get, uh, before we finish up the semester. But yeah, that movie was awesome. It was intense, a lot of action. And like, you know, even like, like I said, when I knew what was going to happen, I was still baffled and shocked by, by, by some of the stuff that occurred. So 10, 10 out of 10 movie, um, you know, I thought it started off a little bit slow, but when they actually get into fighting and stuff, it, it's a, it's really a blast. Um, or, or just a good time of good time. I think it's a two hour movie, just an absolute great movie. Um, Got my spot or not my Spotify wrapped. I, I think I'm doing, a, I'm going to start doing a new series. It'll be every few days. Um, it's going to be reviewing my 2021 Apple music replay, uh, which all of you probably find very interesting <clears throat> and intriguing. Uh, so let me, let me pull, I'm doing pretty much counting on all 100 of my songs on there. I already did 191. And by the time this comes out, 90 to uh, 81 will, pro will, uh, most likely be out by that time but i'll pull up my like artists and my albums for you guys to um kind of go over just gotta do my face id here to get my replay i've got a screenshot all the songs but nothing else from it um just waiting on that to pull up so my top artist this year was Spose, no surprise there. Uh, 134 hours listened. Number two was Kanye West with 11. Cam Groves, nine hours. MC Lars, seven. Jack Harlow, seven. OAR, seven. JR Specs, six. Mike Squires, five. Schaefer the Dark Lord, five. Kid Cudi, five. Uh, J Spin, five. Bruce Springsteen, four. Um, Watsky, four. Blink 182, four hours. And then my top albums. Number one was Get Richard Die Ryan. Number two, We All Got Lost by Spose. Three, Preposterously Dank by Spose. Four, Peter Sparker by Spose. Five, Good Luck With Your Life by Spose. Six, Why Am I So Happy by Spose. Seven, Non-Perishable by Spose. Eight, Good Luck With More Life by Spose. Nine, The Audacity by Spose. 
and 10 going home, I suppose. So he, he kind of dominated the year for me. And he's got one, two, three, four, five. He has five of my top 10 songs as well, um, including the number one song. So uh, I already started doing the series. I started writing my second part of the, the countdown. And it, it's Spose dominated pretty much. I wouldn't be surprised if there's 30 of his songs uh, on, on the countdown. So, uh, yeah, other than that, not too much from else from me. Um, you know, like I said, I'm just ready to be done with school. I'm doing uh, online business consulting over the winter, which is something I'm kind of looking forward to doing um, as an experiential learning through the school. So I'll be doing that and being be home and hopefully down in New Jersey a little bit with Brett to work on some college wrestling content. Uh, I mean, I'm hoping he can come back up to, up to the Northeast or to New England, I should say, and, and cover some Division three and club teams. I think there's going to be a lot of content with that, especially around us. There's a lot of opportunities for it, um, for us to be doing that. So definitely something I'm looking forward to doing. But uh, other than that, thank you guys for listening to the My Parents Office podcast. Yeah, yeah. Since flip phones, I was trying to slide. Go bananas, trying to be the apple of your eye. Real shit, baby. Got me stressed on vacation. No escaping, playing with my head in my heart. She would shut me up quick, like, don't even stop.